Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. You are listening to the 3CR Spoken Word program and I am George O'Hara. On today's show, we have a live recording from Girls on Key at Open Studio in Northcote. First up, we have Cassandra Ellie. I've never been read out before. No one's ever given me an introduction before. So exciting. Everyone's just like, can you move? Your hair's blocking things. Um... I should mention I don't like reading out loud, so this will be good. Um, I'm going to do some new stuff and some old stuff. Um, It's all in different books. um, So this poem is called Keloid. On a Sunday morning, you can spot them. The abnormal proliferation of scar tissue. And nobody is sure why they hang there, or what they want, how they came to be. You feel them, the weight of them, and they grow around you in parts that healed. Carrying weight is the price of healing. I see them on you. You think you can disguise them with a well-placed hat. You can't. That's not to say I mind, but I see them. I see what your body can do. It knew the place where they made the incision, the decision for removal. It was afraid, so it gave you a shield, a knight's armor, and now you sit at the round table, one of King Arthur's soldiers. The armor is something you're proud to wear, so much so that you don't notice when it turns from silver to gray. And you don't recall the last time you saw your face. Not even sure it exists anymore. I assure you, plenty of people can love someone with no face. You'll spend no time getting ready in the morning, and that haze of black shadow where your head should be is very mysterious. It reminds everyone of James Dean. If only you donned a leather jacket, you'd be a rebel without a cause. You gave away your cause on Arthur's quests, but you don't mind, because knights have good superannuation plans. And you think that with the helmet and the haze, nobody can see them. And we can. That's okay. Your no face really does make you look mysterious. And that's that. This next one is actually uh, read here before, so if you've heard it, you don't have to listen. Um, <laughs> it's called May 17th, um, which is the death day of Anne Boleyn, my main bay. <laughs> you laugh, it's true. Um, this is May 17th. Crows don't think about death. There's a crow that sits outside the kitchen window watching... The blunt sound of a knife hitting the chopping board doesn't travel through the window, but it can see the flesh of the onion be decapitated from its body. It doesn't understand why I'm crying. 
My odd shaped beak tosses a four-letter word core and we can speak the same language through glass. My prey is fighting back and the crows don't understand. Don't I know it's safer to keep my head to the ground to look for food? When the crows saw your head hit the floor, they thought you were safe. And you were, finally. They watched the accusations trickle down your neck. It blended with the petticoat, same colours as the trickle. He reached for you with both hands. His posture was a question mark, and when you didn't have the answers, he cried treason. They think you Macbeth. Ambition might be your folly. Does that make you polymath? Henry, lady or banquel, I doubt he could wash the blood from his hands. You gave a speech. The crows heard it. They repeat it in their throaty voices outside his window, a 14th century nevermore. It's the same noise as your head makes as it hits the floor. It's a funeral march. It's silence. It's safety. It's May 17th, and I stop decapitating. My bare feet fill the earth, and I lay my head down. There is no scaffolding yet. The crows see me. They see the sounds like an axe slicing through the air. Thank God I'm finally safe. I have but a little neck. And even crows who don't think about death know it's much safer with my head to the ground. I'm going to do something a little lighter now. Um. Some context, I read this once before and Brendan made a hilarious joke about it straight afterwards. So uh, there's a title in parentheses, which is Brendan's joke, which I really like. Um, and because I wasn't sure if I should do this, because I was like, well, it's, it's mostly just like me complaining in what I think is a funny way. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so just like 90% of being my friend. Um, and. Something funny, quite funny happened to me today, um, which was I got in an elevator full of like dad-aged men and women, um, and they're like, oh, a Queensland supporter, we can let her in. And I was like, what? And then I realized I had to explain to them my scarf wasn't a Queensland origin scarf, it was a Gryffindor scarf. <laughs> so that's how I make friends. <laughs> and then I was like, I should, I should do something funny. So... This is called To the Boys in Creative Writing at Uni. In parentheses, shall I compare thee to an actual person? <laughs> That's all, Brendan. <laughs> Stop comparing me to flowers, or the ocean, or the moon, or cigarette smoke, or anything without a pulse. Let me be an eagle, too proud to come down to earth. Let me be a vulture laying in wake for scraps, or let me just be a human being. Flesh that bruises and breaks, and no, that flesh isn't a dying garden of broken flowers, it's just skin. We don't live and die for your grand realizations. I won't omit a personality so you understand love and loss, and keep your metaphysical insights away from me. Our ambition wants no part in your existential crisis. Yeah. 
now. I just have a bunch of new shit. Um, I just really wanted to hear that. That's the only reason I said it. Um, but it is new, and I've never read it before, so I do hope you like it. Um, this doesn't have a title yet. If you have suggestions, please come up to me. Everything is green and brown and white, and we all rock together, not touching despite being nose to nose. I started saying I when I really mean you. It's a unique way to both assume and remove blame. We all are still rocking together, the little filling in the blanks for us where words should be. People walk past us outside. There is no way we are moving slow enough for that to happen. Well, maybe my heart is. But the city dwellers have no way of knowing this. All grey and black pixels, they can't sense my heartbeat. This reminds me of a story. You begin and fog clears from my eyes. Neither of us know how to react to dialogue anymore. What story? But I know which one. I feel it too, already being told in my head. Following someone around is no way to live your life. Voice in repetition, pulse in repetition, lungs in repetition, footsteps in repetition with nothing left of you that is left in recognition. I'd still seek that masochistic thrill to be half of a whole. Following and leading until I can't quite tell where we're talking about anymore or till you can't. We'll both drag each other's bodies from the lakeside and dress them in our finest coffee blacks. And on the way, we'll sit, rocking past the greens and browns and whites, because everything left to say to you was already written down. Um, you've all been so nice. I have two more, if you'll bear with me. Is that okay? Cool. Okay. Um, this one is uh, called The Mermaid in the Night, and it's mostly because I, you know those people, you know people who like stare at you on public transport, and you're, that's me. I stare at people on public transport if I think they're interesting enough, and I'm like, oh, what are you doing? And then they're probably just trying to get home and avoid me, but <laughs> that's beside the point. Little did I know I write poems about them. Um, so this is that. If the dribble of the waves the ocean makes when it hits the shore was ginger, that would be her hair. She had large dragonfly eyes that were playing host to salty lakes glassing her pupils over. He had brown skin and long lines of black ink hanging from his scalp. When he spoke, no sound came out, but his lips moved so gently I felt the words I could not hear caress my cheek and hold me. They slumped together like tree branches that had grown into each other on the train, the bumps along jostling them in and out of each other's souls. I was a tree branch broken off another tree that had been taken by the wind and sat perched amongst the wood where it didn't belong, hanging there, pretending for a while that I knew about their lives. A giant's hand rocked us back and forth in our metal cradle on the Craigieburn line. His hand shook the same way a hand does after too many whiskies to warm up the evening, all the while this inescapable humming, numbing, buzzing in my skull, deep in my ear, forced through with a pin, 
but even the dentist's shrill noises or the giant's whiskey-driven trembled hand couldn't snatch them away from each other. The rest of us shuffled together, precarious, swaying, and rogue backpacks threatened to topple one another over. It was the evening. We were freezing. They were not. They were otherworldly, in denim jackets and shiny shoes. They looked rumpled perfection. Mythical people who fell into our world lost on the way to some forgotten garden party. I loved them. For the five minutes I saw them, I fell in love with their lives. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, this is the last one, but thank you, everyone, for being just so lovely and for letting me do this as well. <laughs> There's a certain cadence rage lends itself to, and it's innate, and it's there, and it's in you. It's so tempting for me to seek it out for myself so that I might, too, find a small spot on the hill, somewhere to neatly place all the blame in a pile and then kick it down. When it's reached the bottom, I'll still be standing at the top, which I guess is the same as winning. I cannot connect a pen to the temple of my brain. There is no friction between skin and ballpoint that is electric enough to be mistaken for passion. I care deeply, endlessly, but it is not wildfires that burn through apathy. There will be no town squares flooded with so many faces it becomes pointillism, or peeled away from canvas by my oratory. It crashes over one another endlessly deeply until the wave meets its audience on the shoreline, lapping at toes, the rise and fall of breath, taking your head up and down on an elevator pillow, a small saltwater excuse me, which dissolves with the rest of the seafoam. Oh dear, someone please send help, I think I'm becoming inconsequential again. Breaking the land screed record for existential crises and kicking up the dirt around the racetrack as I do. It's quite nice when the engine conks out and there is no noise. There is no bang, no screeching tires coming to a halt, no honking of impatience. Water weathers away everything after a while and you too will be washed away and worn at the edges by softness. Perhaps you could find driftwood to latch to, clinging to some sense of ego as a barnacle would instead of letting it go letting it all go, to float, to not shout would be a heavenly way to end this, the utter satisfaction of heat leaving your body as you plunge into the ice so blue it might as well be black, before anyone realises it they're in space and your head is expanding from what feels like too much oxygen but is actually not enough, I lack oxygen. Everything I say might be lost in space, but it will still smile down upon the people of Earth who have taken a break from their cadence for the night, who went to the shore for a moment, who ignore their pile on the hill and decided to not seek out the thrill of kicking it all down again only to rebuild it up for the next time they need to be poignant, and just sit, just listen to nothing. And you have been listening to a live recording from Girls on Key at Open Studio in Northcote. A quick word about the poetry scene in Melbourne. The Dan O'Connell Hotel in Carlton has poetry every Saturday from 2pm. Ms Millie's Pop-Up Poetry Cafe every second Saturday at Next Level Studios in Brunswick from 7pm. Westward in Footscray on every second Sunday starting at 2pm. 
the Owl and the Cat readings on the first Sunday of every month from 4pm and Passionate Tongues every second Monday at the Brunswick Hotel starting at 7.30. And we're getting back to the poetry now. Next up is Lauren Lee Williams. Thank you. I almost didn't recognise that person who got introduced. <laughs> Goodness me. Um, it's, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I feel like I'm being reborn as a poet because I've got a new book after so many years, 15 years, because I did turn away from poetry uh, about 10 years ago and just be, did songwriting for all of that time. So it's, it's been a great pleasure to get these poems published from probably about two, 2001 to 2008 or nine, and one or two recent ones. And because it's uh, Girls on Key Night, I thought I'd just rip through the book and pull out all the poems that specifically talk about women. And, uh, okay, we'll start with... Hmm... So you want blood. Oh no, actually, the high board. That's where it first starts. The high board. And it's from the section Tempering Fire, which is about childhood and uh, stuff like that. The high board. At the proving ground of the local pool, graduation from that school was a leap off the high board. Olympus from which young gods flew, to which they returned like iron filings to a magnet. Bored seals at the zoo, a treadmill of thrill-seekers keen to walk the plank. For the first time I joined the queue, the cool press of damp board shorts. Brown limbs, big boys grown solid with swallowed fury. The steel ladder rang and shuddered beneath an impatience of aspirants, inching rung by rung to glory. Finally, I was the one in front, high and alone above the world. A special breeze lived up there, licking goosebumps from skin. Come on, gnashed the boys. At the end of the board, I looked down into blue as deep as the sky and did not want to die. The boys were yelling insults now. What you trying to do, grow tits? I wanted to live, so I did a terrible thing. I turned around and walked back. With every step I cracked and broke the immutable law, the mob rule of children. Howling complaint, the lot melted down the ladder like wax down a candle to let me pass, pushed back by some light I held, brighter than fear. I was stronger than a steel ladder full of angry boys. I slipped away with my prize before they could take it back. Later, the sun setting, the pool deserted, the ladder mine. I climbed and jumped, climbed and jumped. Thank you. 
Uh, I've dedicated this book to my mum who died last year, my beautiful mum. And uh, so I, I ask her apologies in a way because this was uh, features her in this poem. And uh, she was young. So you want blood. It took a car full of lairs driving past, a blast of horn barracking their lust out open windows for my mother to concede I needed a bra, my budding breasts hot-wired by the Monaro's raw male whoop, from now on life would zoom. My blood arrived, mum grumped, tossed secret supplies from her secret women's business drawer. Let me work it out, no celebration, a birthday forgotten, a missed graduation, something small and dirty after all. The gore appalled me. I mourned my unswaddled past. Next time asked for tampons, tongue stuck fast on the word like an admission of guilt. She laughed. You're far too small. They'll pop right out. Off-handed me a pack later like a dare. The diagrams frightening as home surgery, a butcher's map. My new animal body grew its fur. The feminine mysteries held razors, the sharper shame of asking again. She laughed without looking, just pluck the three of them out. My change did not fit her picture. Hairless, bloodless, bosomless, sexless she'd have me, and her reign endless, a Monroe in her peroxide crown, flesh commanding the attention women mistake for power, at the mirror, her Penelopean rights, painting the masterpiece every morning, stripping the canvas every night. I came to disdain my sex, the pastes and potions, endless preening rivalries, need to be queen. I embraced androgyny, rock and roll, poetry, males, the brothers I never had, rivals I sometimes beat, lovers I always hurt, left my mother her throne, grew a cold evicting womb, no girly games, I thought it better to be a bleeding boy with breasts. And this also is about my, my mother, but with great love. And it's called What Gets Lost. And it's dedicated to my sister, Suzette, who also had one. What Gets Lost. My Barbie doll was a 1960s original. Silky platinum eye dream of genie ponytail. Flying saucer eyelids with solid black rims. Pink starlet pout. Nude poolside tan. Tits like a McDonald's sign. Hips narrow as a 12-year-old gymnast. Goalpost legs. Feet fallen victim to high-heeled mule-wearing footbinders. A doll you could not mother. Mum was often at her sewing machine, but Barbie clothes were secret business. 
fairy work, never seen in the making, dressmaker's voodoo full of pins, little fashion gems cut from leftovers of outfits she made for herself, dressing that doll like a star. When my adolescence laid Barbie unperturbed and immaculate back in her box, my mother rose like a new light in the sky and ran away, looking fabulous, looking for the rest of her life. Suddenly, there was no centre to the world. Familiar things went spinning off into the arms of strangers. Parents, home, childhood toys sold to the first taker. Like anyone with sense, I kept my teddy bear, but not my Barbie. I chose instead a lesser favourite, a floppy doll, just like a real baby. I chose the life-sized child over the tiny woman, wrapped it like a mummy, packed it away, heirloom for the daughter I would never have. In my middle age, my mother forgiven, I cannot forget the hard girl I was in our garage watching a stranger take Barbie away while I just stood there and those clothes, tiny, exquisite, work of my mother's own hands, hours of patience and skill and style and love, all that proof, the angry daughter just letting it go. I must forgive her too. Thank you. Well, that's all we have for this week, but I'll leave you with some of Lauren Williams' music as she also writes songs and plays guitar. So until next time, this is George O'Hara for 3CR's Spoken Word. I'll start with um, uh, one of the poems from my book actually which I set to music and it's when it's a in the poem it's called paddock mole but that didn't seem as a song I call it paddock girl I don't know why poetry's braver and more direct is probably the reason there and this is a true story about a girl I knew hanging round the horses saw her ride tiny girl she'd climb the boys like a vine passion grind go with them somewhere over the scrappy dandelion wasteland waiting for its freeway Far away now They've heard of her
Bye.